The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. See their limited edition giant silver Tribble available for pre-order today at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Alexander Sadiq, Dr. Julian Bashir on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Department of Unsolved Mysteries of Podfleet Command. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. Greetings to you, one and all, Star Trek fans alike, and welcome to the Trek Geeks podcast. This is episode number 295. Wow. Just five away Mm. from the magic 300 milestone. Hard to believe, but we're here and we're loving every minute of it. Of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I. You know, like him... I cannot recollect why I asked him to do a podcast. Um, He doesn't remember why we chose Prey. I don't remember why I chose him to do a show, but here we are just killing it. Um, He's the largely forgettable Dan Davidson. And Dan, our unsolved mystery this week is, why did you choose this episode? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. Thanks, thanks, buddy, for that great introduction. It's great to be here, as always. I I think we may be more popular than Prey. I'm just going to throw that out there, even though I have no idea why you asked me to do a podcast. Well, you are. (laughs) That's very still out on me. Just riding your coattails, pal. No, it's great to be here, as it always is, uh, here on episode 295. Like you said, oh my God, we are only five away from the big 300. It's kind of awesome. They they named a movie uh, called 300, so maybe they'll make a movie about us. Uh, It it, it could happen. No? Anyway. Um, Yeah, so we're going (laughs) to talk... So we're gonna, I don't even want. I don't want to hear your retort on that one. It's so probably I'll just, best. I'll just continue. Yeah, probably a good idea. Um, I, I even though it's it's an episode that we're like, why do we pick this? It's going to be a fun discussion. I'm really kind of excited about this. We're going to be talking about the season four episode of Voyager called Prey. Uh, I think the main reason I wanted to do it is because it is uh, has our favorite one of our favorite guest stars in all of Star Trek. Uh, Tony Todd uh, plays the hunter in this episode. So uh, we're going to talk all about uh, what happens, what doesn't happen, what takes a long time for nothing to happen, and all that good stuff in this episode. And we're going to make fun uh, of ourselves and of the episode, but we're going to have fun doing it too. We should say um, not only one of our favorite people in Star Trek, but um, uh, certainly one of the 
the wonderful participants in the Trek Talks telephone earlier this year. Yes. And by virtue of that, a previous guest on Trek Geeks, because we did drop the audio from the visitor panel here on this very episode, this very podcast. So um, and we love Tony Todd. Um, he is fantastic. We had the opportunity to meet him at a convention down in southwestern Massachusetts several years ago. Uh, and he was just a, a wonderful person to talk to. He talked about how much he loved doing our favorite episode of Star Trek, The Visitor. Um, and he is very appreciative of his fans. He's very big in the horror genre, of course, with Candyman. Um, so anytime you got Tony Todd on screen, it's something that we're going to want to see. And we decided to talk about this particular episode for, uh, for this one. We've, we've, we've moved it uh, around several times over the course of the last several months due to scheduling. Uh, but we're finally doing it. Finally. Finally, The Rock has come back. No, wait, wrong, wrong franchise. Wrong, wrong, yes. That's WWE, absolutely. and, I'm and so wrong sorry. actor because he was in Voyager also, actually. That's kind of interesting. He was, um, but we'll do that episode another time. Oh, great. Um, in the meantime, why don't you and I take a quick break so we can do some business with America? Dan, of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Trek Geeks without taking a moment to thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Yeah, absolutely, man. You got it right. We love doing it every single week. Hey, it's a new month, and that means new pins from Fansets. And these pins that are available right now at Fansets.com are really special to me because this guy is just so awesome. In honor of Doug Jones returning to the role of Billy Butcherson in the new Disney Plus movie Hocus Pocus 2, our friends over at Fansets are having a Doug Jones release day. So head on over to Fansets.com right now to get these awesome new pins. The Captain Saru autograph pin, which is the second pin to be exclusively signed by Doug Jones. And I got to tell you, the border for this autograph pin is just perfection. You want to check it out. Also available is the Micro Crew Captain Saru pin from Discovery Season 4. Uh, and this one here is pretty awesome. It's the Doug Jones Captain Saru pin. That's right, your favorite Kelpian and your favorite actor back-to-back. The magic of technology. It's all on the same pin. It's awesome. You got to check it out. And they're all available right now at fansets.com. They really are amazing pins too, Dan. Almost as amazing as Doug is himself. And of course, we love Doug. And of course, guess what, people? In addition to the amazing Doug Jones pins added on November 1st, Fansets also had a surprise pin drop this week, and it's none other than the Star Trek Picard La Serena emblem. That's right. They're all available now. So look, you know what I'm going to say. You know the drill. I know it. You know it. What's stopping you? Head on over to Fansets.com. Put all these new awesome Doug Jones pins in your cart, along with some accessories or gift cards, other stuff. To check out, be sure to enter the special discount code TrekGeeks for 10% off your entire order. That's TrekGeeks in all capital letters with no spaces. And of course, don't forget when you spend more than 30 bucks on fansets.com, you will get free shipping in the United States. Fansets, our pins have character. And we thank our friends for Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Okay, so look, friends, if, if, I've said it, I say it all the time. If you haven't checked out the Galaxy's First Interactive Tribble from Science Division, you really are missing out. You know, you truly are. This officially licensed Tribble is just an amazing high-quality Star Trek collectible, which we know you're going to be proud to add to your collection. You and I both have one, Dan, and we love our Tribbles. So much work and creativity went into creating this Tribble, too. 
right down to the softest fur you can possibly imagine. Plus, the sounds this Tribble makes, you know they're straight out of the original series. You'll swear that this Tribble was delivered straight to your door right from Space Station K7. Absolutely. They're not dangerous. I'm going to say that right now, and I may say it they're again not? later. Um, no, they're not. Um, plus, the Science Division Tribble has its own app that you can actually use to control the Tribble and tell it what sounds to make. It's not necessary to have it, but it's so much fun to make it scream at people like annoying podcast co-hosts or really nice uh, podcast co-host like I have, but I'm just I'm just going to leave it at that. Fret not. Everyone except Bill knows this. I'm going to remind you right now, Bill, buddy. I just said it a few seconds ago. Tribbles are not dangerous, my friend. <laughs> You're just the worst. So head on over to sciencediv.com today to pick up one of the galaxy's first interactive tribbles for your very own. Plus, while you're there, check out their new and improved shop accessory section where you can get all kinds of science division stuff like t-shirts or tank tops like the one Dan has on right now. In fact, that's all he's wearing and it's a little alarming. Or the legendary oh. science division tote bag. Science Division, Bill. Trouble, trouble's never been this fun. And for eight credits ahead, uh, or body, we'll just go ahead and thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. <laughs> John Billingsley, Phil Flox, Hollywood Food Coalition here. Guess what? Trek Talks 2. It's happening. You asked for it. You got it. January 14, eight hours of premium Star Trek entertainment, amazing guests, mad capery, insightful social commentary, musical interludes. Support HoFoCo, check us out at HoFoCo.org, helping people in need for almost 40 years. 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the 14th of January at TrekTalks.net. Live long and mark your calendars. Again, TrekTalks.net. Well, Dan, there are some great mysteries of the world that still remain mm. unsolved by, by humans. Yes. You know, uh, the seven wonders of the world, you know, uh, what happened to Amelia Earhart, mm -hmm. um, who, who really killed John F. Kennedy, mm -hmm. um, the winning Powerball numbers and why uh, on earth you selected prey this week on the Trek Geeks podcast. I think it's right up there with that pantheon of great unsolved mysteries. If Robert Stack were alive, he would be in introducing this episode for us. <laughs> I don't I don't know why. I will never be able to remember why. I can't remember what I did 20 minutes ago. So chances are I'm not going to remember why. When you asked me to pick an episode, I immediately said, pray. Boom. Let's do it. And here we are. It's, that's because it was a short word with a lot of small <laughs> with, with very yes. few letters. And I and I wouldn't forget about it, and <laughs> then I did. <laughs> so, so yeah. As I said before, I think the reason that I picked this one is because you know we just love Tony Todd so much, and 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 you know it's written by Brandon Braga, of course, who does fantastic work. Directed by Alan Eastman, it was the 16th episode of season four of Voyager. So, of course, we have the whole seven thing has started. We're starting to see some interesting character development with her and the rest of the crew, and I'm like, oh. Species 8472. This is going to be great. We're going to have a great time talking about it. And next week on Trek Geeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because it's, you know, I, you know Alan Eastman has, has directed other episodes of Star Trek. He directed uh, the Deep Space Nine six-season uh, six episode, Honor Among Thieves. Um, mm -hmm. He also did Relativity and Voyager season five. And then this one. Um, yeah. Um, no, it's this is not a terrible episode. Let's just state that up front. 
Um, Correct. This is not one of the ones that we think are like, you know, in the children shall lead level of, of bad. It's not that exactly. at all. Usually when we pick an episode, it's because one of us is particularly excited to talk about it. Um, and in this case, yep. uh, either because you and I are now old or just forgetful or maybe some combination of the two, neither of us knows why this is in the schedule. But we're going to talk no. about it anyway because there's there's actually quite a bit here. There is quite a bit here. What Before we get started though, Bill, I'm going to do something that I didn't tell you I was going to do. Right. I pulled up the see it or skip it spreadsheet. I thought you were going to say try because that would be something if you have to do, but okay. <laughs> so, wow, that that hurt. And it would have hurt a lot more if it wasn't true. Um, anyway, <laughs> so I've got the see, see it or skip it spreadsheet in front of me right now from season four of Voyager. And I'm going to read you word for word what we said about this episode. And I think you're going to be surprised. Will you do mine first? I will do yours first. Yes, absolutely. This was Bill's comments back when we did Pray for See It or Skip It. See it. I love this episode for the Tony Todd factor and the hunt with 8472. The Voyager crew was put in the middle of this confrontation, and it's such a different problem for them. End quote. I think some of that is still largely true. I think love is maybe a strong word. Um, Okay. But- my assessment of the episode is still pretty spot on. Okay. That's that. Uh, that's good to know. Here's what I said. See it. Two formidable hunters. A Herogen hunter played fantastically by our friend Tony Todd. <laughs> but then again, when isn't he fantastic? That's true. And, and Species 8472. This is very important for our discussion later. Although the idea of basing an entire culture on the success or failure of a hunt is a little extreme for me, captive pursuit, anyone, the Herogen intrigue me, end quote. Yeah. I'm going to say that last, those last three words no longer have any meaning for me. The Herogen do not intrigue me anymore. No, and I don't think they intrigue me either. I think yeah. the idea of the Herogen intrigue us, but I mm-hmm. think it's in the application or the way that that species was fleshed out that yes. it kind of lost a lot of that shine. Yes. And and I guess that's a, that's a perfect uh, way to segue into my first comment about this episode with relation to the Herogen. Well, before, um, before you do that, let's, let's catch yeah. people up. So for people who may not okay. remember what prey is about. Yes. Um, I'll read you the log line off of Memory Alpha, and then you can go right back into your point. Uh, Voyager rescues a critically injured Herogen hunter who wishes to finish his hunt against a quote-unquote resilient species, a recent enemy of the Voyager crew, as Captain Janeway gives Seven of Nine a lesson in compassion. Okay, so that's where we are. That's what this is about. That's why it's called Prey. Back to you. Yes. Okay, so... The captive pursuit aspect, I forgot I had said that, and it's actually right. The captive pursuit, there were hunters who were yeah. hunting Tosk, and that's all they did. But there seemed to be more to their society than just that. With the Herogen, all they do is hunt. That's the the entire existence of their society is the hunt and the success or failure of it. And that that, that doesn't work for me on a lot of levels. But in looking and thinking about the Herogen as a new species in Star Trek when this came about, I kind of feel like the writers wanted an alien along the lines of the Predator movies, which you watched one not too long ago, yep. which you didn't like. Yep. Um, so they made this hunting species, and it, it just doesn't work. 
there's no way that an enti- that I can think of that an entire society would be able to survive basically on people going out and hunting different types of prey, and that their whole caste system of who is more powerful is based all on that. And their technology, how can they have this technology? There are so many things that we could spend hours talking about, about for me, why the idea of the Herogen and just being a hunting species doesn't work. And I just may be closed-minded to it. I don't know. No, I don't think you are. Um, you know, Star Trek all too often, you know, makes every alien species a monoculture. You know, they're all the same. There's no difference between a Vulcan on the north end of the planet or the south end of the planet. They all believe in logic. They all believe in the teachings of Serac. They all are logical individuals who have suppressed their emotions. Whereas, you know, if you look at a planet like, say, Earth, there are many different cultures throughout our entire planet just today. Right. I mean, in, in yep. 2022, as we record this, there are, you know, a, a, a different and varied and beautiful cultures all over this world. Mm-hmm. So the first problem with the Herogen is that they're a, a monoculture who hunts. The second problem with the Herogen is all they do is hunt. We learn nothing to uh, teach us more about what enriches the lives of these, of the species. It's just, Oh, got to hunt. Oh, sorry, I got to hunt now. Uh, wait, yeah. I, I'm eating. Uh, then we're gonna go hunt. Um, now, don't think I want a bowl tonight. Let's go hunting. And I eated what I hunted. Yeah, yeah. I, I ate. Eat it. Eat it. Wow. You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. And it's and who knows? Maybe because we don't know enough about them, because we didn't see them enough, that there are aspects of the society that do different things. Like I know that in Klingon society, at one point we find out that people who were who were scientists, Klingons who were scientists, were frowned upon because they weren't warriors. Maybe they have areas of the Herogen society that aren't hunters and they're frowned upon, but we never heard anything like that. All we heard was they hunt. That's all they do. That's all they live for. So we have to go, I have to go with the assumption that they're all like that because we don't have any inkling of whether there are any other Herogen who aren't like that. Right. Makes sense? No, it, yeah. absolutely it does. You know, maybe there are, maybe there's a, a you know, a, 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 an enclave of Herogen who have decided to, sh- you know, shun the hunt, you know, to cast mm-hmm. it out of their lives. What do they do then? Shunt. Um, wow, I hate you so much right now. <laughs> um, I think that could have been an interesting story. You know, because right. that seems like a very Star Trek thing. You know, we're not going to be like these people anymore because we want freedom. We want to be our own thing. We want to grow. We want to evolve. I think that could have been a very salient episode. Absolutely. Um, maybe someday, maybe that gets covered in a book or maybe it will get covered in a book someday, a novel. I think that would be a pretty fascinating examination, quite frankly. I really think it would be as well. And and, and again, I... I don't. I don't dislike this episode. No, same. I like the episode. There's there's great aspects of it. The Herogen are a species that I've I've learned to not really appreciate. But that doesn't mean that the storylines that they're in aren't good. And we see some good stuff in this in this particular episode, but also later on in some other episodes. Um, and and the Killing Game comes to mind. Killing Game. I th- I just I, I think it's a great two parter with the Herogen, and, and that's something that we've talked about before, and we can we can talk about again at some point if we want. But for this particular episode, I felt that it was tough to have a a whole episode based on one specific hunt between one specific person and one specific prey. The species eight, the one species eight four seven two alien in this episode. It's great that we find out why that why it's being hunted and how it came to be hunted, but I think that 
with what we get in this episode, it kind of, it kind of stretched out too long and it kind of lost a lot of its, um, momentum very quickly in the episode. Well, I think that one of the things I appreciate about this particular episode is that, like I said, in the theater skip it notes, it does put our crew in the middle of a conflict that we don't typically see. You know, they've got one race who they know is a threat to them, um, and potentially could hunt them. And by the way, Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, they do later. Um, hunting another species that is a threat to all of them and potentially even the Borg. Um, who do they help? Why do they help? And in and among all of that, they have to adhere to Starfleet principles. I think that that quandary alone for me makes a really interesting and compelling episode. I don't know that it translates as well in some of the scenes, but I really love the potential in that sort of, you know, uh, crossing of conflicts. Absolutely. And I think one of the ways or one of the places where it shines is, uh, let me back up a step. An area of this episode that I absolutely love is the tension and the discussions between Captain Janeway and Seven. And in one of the scenes between these two, Captain Janeway and, and Kate does a fantastic job in the scene. She talks about why it's important to try and protect and save this injured enemy and she talks about and i love how star trek brings voyager into it she talks about how at one point she was involved with fighting the cardassians and there was this long drawn out battle and there was a wounded cardassian out in the distance and they were ordered to go and save that cardassian and the entire scene where she's talking about it and talks about why that's such an important part of being part of starfleet I think really resonates and is the sh- is one of the, if not the only shining moment in this episode where you're really like, wow, Captain Janeway just completely can, can give it to you in a way that you really appreciate what Starfleet's all about. And even though Seven still says, I'm not going to do what you say, so meh, um, it was a great scene. Well, but I think that that's you know important part of the, the growth and the maturation of Seven. In this episode, I feel, kind of feel like she's a rebellious teenager to some extent. Mm-hmm. Janeway could say anything. Seven adopts the attitude of, I already know this. You know, I, I know pretty much everything about this situation. I know more than you. Um, so um, you go on with your, you know, your, your fancy little Starfleet beliefs. I'm going to be over here knowing what the right thing is to do. And you're stupid for not listening to me. Yep. It's it's an interesting aspect of the relationship between these two because we do know that they go through very tense times in season four, and I think this is one of the highest points of that tension where she di- di- disobeys direct orders from Captain Janeway, and basically she calls Captain Janeway, like you said, stupid for her beliefs. I'm not doing it. I'm a spoiled brat. I know more than you do. I could I could instantly take care of this problem by doing it my way. So go ahead and send me to my room, which she basically does. She sends her to a room for the rest of the trip. Yeah. <laughs> back to back to the alpha alpha quadrant. The 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 lack of vision on Seven's part and the incredible desire to hold on to the beliefs of Starfleet on Janeway's part are an incredible head to head budding moment of the entire series, but specifically for this episode. You know, I have to tell you that you know, in rewatching this episode, because I hadn't watched it since I did my initial Voyager watch through to become a completionist, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Janeway has a line that really affected me, um, especially when rewatching it for this particular episode. Um, and it's part of becoming human is learning to have compassion for those who are suffering. 
even when they're your bitter enemies. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it, that really is, I mean, you see that right up front in TOS from the beginning. You know, you see it all throughout Next Generation. You see it in Deep Space Nine. You see it here in Voyager. But put in such simple terms like that, it really kind of bowls you over in a sense. You know, people talk about wanting to see a little more Star Trek in the world today, you know, about taking this this tumultuous and and messed up society that we live in and trying mm-hmm. to evolve it to quote unquote Gene's vision. And really that's a fundamental tenet at its core. Yeah, it is about having compassion for the people who are suffering, but you have to have the wherewithal and the courage to do it when they don't like you and you don't like them. And I think that it's a, it's a really, really powerful message. It's an extremely powerful message. And if we look at things in today's society, especially in the United States, people would laugh at this quote. Yes. They're like, that's insane. And that's really, it's really sad. Uh, It's really sad that we're in the state that we're in right now when you have back when this first came out, these lines that mean so much. And I always go back to this when we're we're looking at real world events going on, which we're not going to get into here, but also listening and watching Star Trek. It's amazing that we have... So far to go to achieve that vision that you just talked about when we look at the lines of dialogue in these episodes and looking where we at are at today. It's very, it's very sad to see where we're at. Um, and that's a perfect line right there. Well, and I want to say it also means showing compassion for your political enemies. I'm not saying empathize with them. I'm not saying, mm-hmm. you know, don't oppose them, but you know, it's it, it, compassion for people who are suffering extends to all living things. Exactly. Um, even if you hate what they stand for. And I think that that's especially what's true in that statement. Now, I'm not saying go out and, and save some of your political opponents. I mean, that's not what I'm saying right now. <laughs> I said, but, but, you know, as we think about when we want to see more of Gene's vision in the world, we have to accept that part of it or else we're not doing it right. You're absolutely right. 100%. And, 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 and just to get onto today's stuff for a second, because I think it's very important based on what she said, even when they're your bitter enemies. There's a difference between what we used to see where people could be on different sides of a political spectrum and they just have disagreements. Yeah. Now, people, if you're of one particular group, the other group is your enemy. They have become the enemy, yeah. which is a very sad situation. And this is a perfect line that we can all look at, read, and try to understand a little bit better. And I wish I wish we all would. As, as you said- Speech over. <laughs> as you said, well, as, as, as we hear too often, um, it's, especially in TNG's frame of mind, I can see we have a long way to go. Yes, absolutely. Or Star Trek 60 Undiscovered Country, sorry. Um, uh, that's probably more recognizable from there, but yes, um, that's true. And I probably conflated that, and it's still Star Trek Six. So don't at me. That's, that's okay. Um, no, that's all right. That's all right. I got you. There is I also back, there is also great humor in this episode. Um, <laughs> there's a great scene where Chakotay and the Alpha Herogen, played by Tony Todd and Tom Paris, are standing in a corridor. Uh, Chakotay and Paris are in EV suits, and. Uh, Chakotay says to the Herogen, is your body armor designed to handle rapid pressure fluctuations? And the Alpha Herogen says, it can defeat most hostile environments. And once tracked a silicon-based life form through a neutronium mantle of a collapsed star. And Paris pauses for a beat and says, I once tracked a mouse through Jeffrey's tube 32. (laughs) (laughs) I laugh so hard at that. It's just, it's it's the perfect, it's, it's a perfect step down from that situation. 
That's interesting because it's funny, but I remember when I watched it during the rewatch that I did of this for this episode, I'm like, dude, you better shut up because he's going to kill you. (laughs) That was my reaction to it. And it was kind of an awkward joke. And for most species, it doesn't seem that Hirogen have humor as part of their species. For most species, that would have been funny. But I'm like, yeah, I don't think you want to say anything to him like that because he's going to turn that big, gigantic Nerf-looking gun and incinerate you. <laughs> I, I think that's why it struck me as funnier because the Hirogen <laughs> have no sense of humor. Right. Speaking of yeah. no sense of humor, my other favorite line oh, is boy. Tuvox. Mr. Elix, I must ask you to exchange your spatula for a phaser rifle. <laughs> Absolutely, Mr. Vulcan. <laughs> and, and Neelix comes right around like, what's my assignment? You yeah. Know, uh, it's, uh, there is there is great humor at the heart of this episode, as there is in a lot of Voyager episodes. Um, True. But it True. just those two instances of it struck me pretty well because um, they're just perfectly timed. Yes. You know, when you, have, I, when you have good writing that's timed poorly, it's just bad comedy. Um, True. But when you have it timed perfectly, I, I think that Robbie Duncan McNeil's McNeil's delivery on that one line in particular is just spot on. I'm going to have to rewatch it, see if I can get the the same uh, humor out of it that you did. What they also do good in this is something that doesn't happen often in the uh, episodes back in the day that this first came out, is there's a couple shock factor scenes in here. The first one being when they're on the Herogen ship and they're going to try to find any survivors and, oh, look at here's some armor on the ground. I'm going to pick up this helmet. And it's not a helmet, it's a head. There's a, there's a guy's severed head in Tom's hands, and he jumps. That's not something you see from Starfleet very often where they jump like that, but that was a moment that you don't really expect in the television back in that day. No, you really don't. I um I I did jump, and I've seen it before. <laughs> well, because it sold really well, right? Yeah. You know, I think that if they tried to make this episode a little more scary, it could have the mantle of scariest episode um, simply just because of the nature of what's going on here. You know, you're hunting one species through the corridors of a Federation starship with somebody who's potentially your enemy, and yeah. the crew is kind of trapped in the middle. Um, I think that could make for some really high tense situations, but high tension situations. So, so scarier than the haunting of Deck. Oh, Land? shut up. <laughs> I saw that recently, so, where it made like the top oh, of a pole. I'm, I apologize to you. That episode is not even- scary. <laughs> It's not scary at all. I remember we had a discussion on that a couple of years ago, and yeah, yeah, just something I want to forget. Why can I forget so much stuff, but not stuff like that that I should forget? You forget episodes that are halfway decent that you swear you've never <laughs> seen before. <laughs> it's probably true. Um, but back back to Prey, um, one of the things that I also liked about this episode is how formidable the Herogen Hunter looked, and Tony, especially in sickbay. When you had the scenes where Picardo was talking to him, he is gigantic. He is a big guy in the, in the, and he, and to me, I don't know if it's the camera angles, but he looks even bigger when he's in sickbay in the force field than he does when he's walking down the corridors with Chakotay in Paris. Did you feel the same way? I didn't, but I do feel like he was larger than life to start with because yeah. of, of the prosthetics and because of that suit. Um, mm-hmm. Which Tony Todd was not a fan of in any way, um, but I, I I do think he was larger. I don't think he, there was necessarily for me a difference, but in various scenes in the episode. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, it's interesting that Tony didn't didn't care for it, and that's gonna that's gonna bring us to a topic which we can get into now yeah. or later in regards to how I feel about the Herogen as a whole with regards to the prosthetics. Let's do it. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I got a hot take for you, man. And I'm not sure how you're going to feel about it, but I'm going to say it. I cannot stand 
the way that the Herogen look. I think that it is the cheapest looking prosthetics of any Star Trek alien that has been created. It is completely fake looking to me. It is rubbery. It does not really hold any fear for me. I'm talking about the makeup specifically yep. because yep. I love the uniforms and the, the battle gear that they wear and the weapons that they have. But I think for me, I, I just, I just am not a fan of that, of that makeup. And I feel that because Tony was completely covered in it for every square centimeter of his body, it seemed that it took away from one of the strongest guest stars in Star Trek. And it wasn't his strongest performance because of what he was had to wear and, and had all that stuff covering him. I can agree with to- the, the part about Tony's performance. Um, because I mean, you know, he, his face is, is really what, what sells, you know, the, the roles he takes on. He's got, mm-hmm. you know, he has such wonderful expressions and his eyes are, are fantastic. You know, it's just, when you look at Tony Todd on screen and use the visitor as an example, you know exactly what his character's thinking and feeling without him having to say a word. And the Herogen costume takes that away from him. It makes him have to, in my opinion, work harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't hate the Herogen makeup or prosthetic. It's not my favorite. I, I do think that initially it looked menacing. It looks more menacing with the face mask, quite frankly. Yes. That, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But I, I do think that kind of like in Star Trek Discovery Season 1 with the Klingons, where we felt the prosthetics inhibited the actor's ability to do the actor's job. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that piece around the mouth with the Herogen made it very difficult to see the articulation of the words, you know, see their right. lips moving. Um, I think that's my, my greatest complaint. That's interesting because as things, as things um, have gotten better over time with technology and stuff, we look at Saru and let's use Doug Jones for an example yeah. real quickly. You got to wonder how Doug would have done back then in the 90s with this makeup versus, I mean, because he's been in so much, I mean, he's known for his work in latex versus what he has with Saru now where you can actually see his lips moving and his added on mouth and lips as a Kelpian. I got to wonder how he would do as a Herogen back in the 90s. And I have one thing that that you said that I was like, oh, interesting. It's it's Tony's facial expression that does it for you. For me, it's his voice. That's the one thing that I thought stood out for Tony in this episode as a Herogen was his voice. It's very recognizable. Um, you know exactly who it is when you hear it. And I feel honestly that if it wasn't for Tony Todd's voice, if you if you did a David Prowse and James Earl Jones thing from Star Wars and you had anybody play the Herogen, but not have Tony Todd's voice, it would have been a completely wasted character. Interesting. Now, have you felt that about the other Herogen too? I mean, because later on we see JG as a as a Herogen in Sunkatsi. Yeah. Um, I have to rewatch it. It's been so long since I've seen that, but I do know that even in the Killing Game, which there are a lot of Herogen, they just weren't menacing to me. They, they really didn't have yeah. that. They're a hunting species. They are supposed to be petrifying and they just aren't, aren't to me. And, 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 and I, I don't know if it's, it is because of the makeup, but the makeup takes me out of a lot of the scenes that they're in because I just, I think it looks not realistic. That's fair. I, I can't no. fault that. Um, it's, I think that they had lofty aspirations with the Herogen. I just, I, I think that unfortunately it just, it didn't live up to their original intent. 
Um, right. I, I think it could have been a really menacing race, but I don't think we would have been able to see them nearly as much. You know, because by the time we get to the killing game, I don't know that we ever really see them very much after that. Um, because I think they've outlived their usefulness. Kind of like the K's That's on, it. you know, early on. Once you get to a certain point of space, they got to stop. I mean, that's the thing with Voyager is is they're going home. So they're going through these areas of space that eventually you're not going to see these people, isn't the right word. You're not going to see these species anymore. And they kind of went away. They came in and went away quickly. And you got to realize if they maybe could have, it would have been better for me if they had been around more. I don't know. Well, but you know, by that, I mean, you know, there's only so much exploration and examination you can do of the hunt. Well, that's true you know, too. Yeah, there's only so many stories you can do about. Oh, we're being hunted. Oh no, um, you know. But, but before but then, it seems also ran. Let me ask you this: Don't you feel that they did a much better job of explaining the hunt and captive pursuit than they do with the whole species of the Hiroji? Oh, absolutely, I do. And that was only one episode. Yeah, absolutely. So I it's just, I guess, the way that it was, the, the way that it was handled by the writing, and uh, I, I'm not taking away anything from Tony's acting performances because they're all great. But I feel that he was kind of in a straitjacket. And couldn't really express himself the way that we are used to seeing him when he plays one of these great roles that he does. I do. Um, so so we've been critical of a number of things, and, and I think deservedly so and somewhat constructively. But let's talk about something that really makes this episode work. Mm-hmm. And that's the tension and the conflict between Janeway and Seven. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, Seven kind of seems like a petulant teenager of sorts, but she... I feel like she feels there's a double standard, you know, uh, later in the episode, she, she has that line with Jane was like, you know, look, you turned me into, into an individual. You wanted me to stop thinking like the collective, you know, you, you encouraged my independence and my humanity. And when I try to use that, you essentially punish me. And she's not wrong to some extent in her perception, but mm-hmm. I, I think she forgets in that she's part of a, I hate to use this phrase, but a quasi-military organization. Now, yes. Um, people say- Chain of command. Yeah. People want to say Starfleet's not military. That's fine. It, it's enough like a military that it's got a chain of command and a series of rules and mm-hmm. chips, and they get into wars. So let's just call it a quasi-military thing. Um, she believes that, Seven believes that they are frightened by her individuality. And I think, and Jamie takes great offense to that to some extent. And that's really what surprised me. I thought it was a brilliant take on the conflict um, because I don't know if that's true. Yeah. It's interesting to me that one of the things that she says in that conversation is, I am not going to be part of this because my life is more important to me than this creature's life. And by doing this, you're, you're condemning us all to the possibility of being killed. I'm sorry. Now, that's individuality to an extreme, right. especially when you're brand new to individuality. I totally agree with what you're saying. She's right to a point, but at the same time, she agreed to become part of this crew. She became part of the crew, and part of the crew means that there are certain things that you need to do, which is follow the orders of your superiors. And she completely decides to throw that. I hate to say this. She reminds me of my youngest when she was a teenager. <laughs> Drove me up the effing wall. Everything I know everything better than you. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm going to do what I want to do and to hell with anything that you have to say. That's what Seven does in those scenes. And it's very upsetting because the character of Seven is so is so dynamic and Jerry does such a fantastic job of her. But in this episode, and there's a couple of other times during the fourth season where it's like, I just want to smack her. 
You're sent <laughs> I mean, to not a room. to be mean, yeah. but as as a parent, I want you're grounded. You're grounded for the next seventy eight years until we get home, young lady. Uh, and so you think about that. That's how I feel like talking to her. And but and Janeway essentially does that at the end of the episode. Yeah, and and Janeway's as you were really kind of says everything. Yeah. Um, three small words that are essentially like "get the hell out of my face." Um, mm-hmm. I have to believe on some level that maybe they are afraid of her individuality because she was Borg. You know, it's one thing for her to have been a human who was assimilated. Now she's essentially an XP. She's an ex Borg. What happens then? Because she was assimilated so young. What is well, her vision of her humanity? Not only her vision, dude, I got to think about this based on what we know about what we've seen with the XPs that you just brought up. Yeah. Maybe they're scared of her individuality and what she's capable of because she is an ex-Borg. She has technology inside right. her. I mean, she still has the the nanoprobes and the and the and the simulation tubules and all that stuff. We actually see that. So I can understand that if she thinks that she's superior to everybody with her individuality, she could become a very uh, big menace to the rest of the crew. And I got to wonder if that's on anybody's mind. I, I have to believe it is, quite frankly. And I think there are plenty of times where they they telegraph that. You know, they wonder what Seven going to do now. You know, mm-hmm. for for a good chunk of season four. I think she's kind of a wild card. They have no idea what she's yeah. going to do. If she's going to fall in line, they have no idea if she's going to lure the Borg to them, you know, or, or, or decide that, you know what, this ship needs to be assimilated. I, there's, I have to believe that there's a lot of those unanswered questions that leave this sort of feeling of dread and fear to some extent. Yeah. You know, couple that with yeah. the fact that they're stranded 75,000 light years from home. Um, yeah. It's got to not be a great vibe on the Voyager. On the Voyager. I like that. The voyage of the Voyager. Um, one of the things that I thought, you talked about a line where she says, as you were. Yeah. The line that got me is when Seven was trying to give her side of how she felt. And she she made some comment. I forget what it is. I got I to gotta, I gotta look at it real quick. But, but Janeway goes, and you've just crossed the line. That was like... Oh bleep moment, somebody's in trouble right now. And it's uh uh she said, Oh, basically, um Janeway said that she recognizes the objection, but you are to do we're gonna do this without you. And Seven just says, You're gonna fail. You're gonna die. And she just says you just cross the line. I love that aspect of the conversation. I do too. You know, I I think the one thing that that, that I'm glad they didn't bake into seven was this sort of, you know foreknowledge of what Starfleet's about. She could have easily said, oh yes, I know all about Starfleet because we've assimilated, you know, species, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that she doesn't understand this nuance, doesn't understand that there are times when the situation is greater than yourself, you know, and at times sacrifices have to be made. This is a, is a concept of humanity that Seven just can't grasp because she's been part of the collective. And so that's why I think that this conflict between Janeway and Seven works so exceedingly well. And mm-hmm. honestly, why it pisses Janeway off as much as it does. Because I, I think Janeway's approaching it from the fact of, look, I've been teaching you all this. You ought to know this by now. You know, this is this is what we're about. This is who we are. And Seven's like, nope, that's dumb. That's stupid. Yeah. You're all going to die. And it's it's kind of a slap in the face to Janeway, which is why I think she takes it so personally. You're putting all this effort and time and love and desire to help someone into showing them the right things. And they just eh, wave their hand, eh, whatever. Yeah. You're an idiot. Yeah. That's got to hurt. 
yeah. So I, I, I can see the frustration on Janeway's part. Um, you know what we haven't talked about, which is really fun to talk about? Species 8472. Yeah, that was going to get to that next. I mean, um. Yeah, well, there you go. We're just thinking alike. We got that like psionic thing going. No, what? No, we don't. Okay. Um, because that would mean you're getting in my head like 8472 gets in a Tuvox head and that's not. Cool. Oh, I'm living in your head rent-free, baby, every day. Um, <laughs> we have with 8472 a very Star Trek dilemma. You know, all this, this alien wants to do is go home. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he means you no harm. Um, <laughs> You know, he, he just, he wants to, they, they, they want to get the hell out of there. And I mean, I can see why Janeway wants to make that happen. I want them to make that happen because maybe it curries some favor with 8472. Maybe yep. this one act of kindness changes everything. <laughs> um, but we never get that chance. It, and it's amazing because- what I like when they do in this episode is they flash back to when we first saw 8472, when they were attacking the Borg ships, and I believe it was in Scorpion, and how this one ship was damaged and was left behind and couldn't get back into fluidic space. And I thought that was a great way for why this lone uh, member of Species 8472 is out here and being hunted by by the Herogen. But you're absolutely right. It's wounded, and all it wants to do is go home. And what kind of favor would that show that species who all they want to do is wipe everything off the face of existence in this realm? Might That might help, and I understand that part perfectly with what Janeway wants to do. And we actually see something with this particular 8472 that we don't see in other times in that it's willing to communicate about its desires, yeah. what it's feeling with that, those scenes with Tuvok. And I thought those worked really well also. I did too. I, I felt that uh, using Tuvok as the, as the conduit for the message was brilliant. I thought it was the most logical choice, no pun intended. Um, and, and of course, Tim Russ is, is fantastic as Tuvok. So, I mean, those scenes played exceedingly well. It adds a new level of conflict to this whole situation because now there, it's like, well, what do we do? Um, you know, the, the question is simple. We've got to return this 8472 to home, but now we've got the Herogen Alpha Hunter to, and so the Alpha Herogen Hunter to deal with. And this is not an easy situation. Plus seven's disagreement with the whole situation. Um, it's just, it, at some point it's going to blow up in their face and seven takes that away from them by acting unilaterally. And signing that species 8472 to its death wish, yeah. death warrant. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's something that troubles me with this episode that Seven would would go to that extreme. Uh it it really it, it really was a surprise and I'm surprised that as things progress in Voyager the remainder of the season that things kind of go back to normal after a while with with she basically killed someone. I mean, she sent that thing back to the ship. You know it's going to get it's, you know it's dead. Um and, and that was interesting uh to me and and very um, un-Star Trek-ish, actually, when you want to really look at it. Well, but Seven is very un-Starfleet, you know? Right. It's in line true. with who Seven is, but, I mean, is it the right thing to do in this situation? I don't know. It's 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 like a Tuvix question. It kind not, of not is. Not to that level, but it kind of is a Tuvix question. Yeah, absolutely. Did Seven do the uh, right thing by sending that 8472 back to the Herogen ship? Yeah. And I have to admit uh, that... I can see why it probably saved Voyager. Um, 
The needs of the many. The needs of the many. That type of question. But uh, yeah, I mean, was it right? I don't. I don't. Two I don't, very distinct questions. And, and two very <laughs> yep. different questions. You know. Yeah. Um, yep. It. it I, I still have to ask myself you know, that routinely. It's like, well, I get why she did it. I, I get why this occurred. Um, did it save everybody? Yes. But was it the right course of action? There are some who would say, well, save the crew. It must have been right. But we kind of mortgaged everything Starfleet believes in for that to happen. Um, if you look at you look at yesterday's Enterprise. They gave up the, the, the destruction of the crew and the Enterprise C in order to get things back to normal. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about all kinds of different examples as we as we as we think about Star Trek through the years. Absolutely, we can. Um, but let's talk about one thing that I know you love about this episode. What's that? And that's the scene of the species eight four seven two on the hull of the Voyager. That's just a cool shot, man. It's so cool with the shadow. It's just awesome. It's just fantastic. You know, it's it's yeah. rare that at this point of Star Trek we typically don't see anything like that because I mean they shot a lot of practical models. Um, mm-hmm. Eight four seven two was all CGI. Um, you know, and and I think that allowed them really the kind of flexibility to do something very different. To show that this threat wasn't just something they beamed up or, you know, came aboard in a shuttle. It found a much more nefarious way to get on board this ship. Um, yeah. And when you think about it, it's a little terrifying. You can survive in the vacuum of space easily. It's very strong. It's very gross. It can make, like, things come out of your nostrils like Harry Kim saw and felt. Um, and they are very formidable species. And this added another layer that we didn't expect to see that they could do what they do in outer space. Yeah. And just the visual of it, you know, walking along the, you know, the outer so hall. Good. It's just, yeah. I remember watching this at the time going, what the F? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm looking at a still of it right now and just the still, it looks fantastic. Yeah. The shadow is what does it for me because that just, it really gives it depth yeah. and kind of eeriness. And I just, I think it's great. It's, um, it's one of those moments in, in the episode you know, because like you said, there are just a lot of long conversations and hallways in this episode. And that's fine mm-hmm. because it does propel the story forward. But when you get a visual like this, it really does make you stop and take notice. Um, you know, it's it, it's very early CGI for Star Trek. It's outstanding work for 1998. Really Let's be honest. Yeah, it really is. Talking about speaking of the hallways for a quick yeah. se- quick second, one of the things that I thought was out of character for Seven, but also this is a very out of character episode for Seven to this point, is she has no problem firing instantly at what she thinks is something, and it's only a floating data pad. <laughs> and Tuvok makes a joke about that too. He may he has a lot of humor in this episode. You missed <laughs> Tuvok is the perfect straight man. Better than yeah. Spock was. I'm going to be honest about yeah. that because Spock didn't quite <laughs> grasp humor. I think Tuvok gets it all too well. He's just, yeah. he knows a good <laughs> punchline when he hears it. Um, <laughs> it's, and she did. She, she missed. She missed. In grand fashion. <laughs> so, absolutely. So, as we, we kind of think back on our see it or skip it notes, would you still say see this one today? Uh, yeah, I would, st- I would say see it, but for different reasons. Okay. I think that I would still see it because it has a very important aspect of the Janeway seven relationship. And we do get to see some Star Trek moments that we normally wouldn't see, like the whole, um, you know, feeling sorry for this injured 
alien and we want to, we want to help it, even though they have sworn to kill us all. Right. Um, so there are aspects of that are great. Tony Todd, um, is, is amazing in anything that he's in, but he is really restricted in this one, I think. And knowing, as you shared with me earlier, that he really did not like being in all the prosthetics and all the makeup and all the, all the gear, um, makes me appreciate him all that much more. Very interesting. I, I think I would say it still is a see it. Um, I, I think my initial evaluation of this episode is true. This is a conflict really like one we don't really get on Voyager. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think you're right about the whole dynamic of the Janeway 7 relationship at this point. It's very much parent-child. It's very much parent-rebellious teenager. Um, yes. It has some pretty damning repercussions. And it, it it takes Janeway to a place I don't think she wanted to go emotionally, exactly. mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think she believed that, you know, by, by rescuing Seven from the Borg and, and introducing her to humanity, they were creating somebody in their image, possibly in Janeway's image. Absolutely. And when in this episode, it's very obviously not the case. And I think that, I think that's what upsets her. I think that's what. I think that's what pisses her off, quite frankly. Um, I think it pisses her off, and I also think that she thinks she's failed. Abs- oh yeah, uh, absolutely to a point. Yeah. Um, and that and that's something that she does not uh, take lightly. So, um, so yeah, I see why Jerry Ryan looks at this as one of her favorite episodes from the season. I see why Brandon Braga thinks this episode came together very well. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they could have tweaked it some to make it a little more scary, to make the the hunt a little more. Um, something that the viewer might be afraid of. Yeah. Raise the tension a little bit more as far as that goes. But the, I thought the Starfleet slash seven dynamic was, was spot on in this episode. And I don't think they could have done it any better. That's something that would have, that, that holds up even to today. I think in today's standards, it would, it would hold up with today's Star Trek. I would love to see how they would handle the, um, the Herogen, the species eight four seven two, the special effects and all that kind of stuff with today's technology. That's always something that intrigues me on how much more ferocious the Herogen could look because they don't look ferocious to me. I'm sorry, they they just don't no. unless they get that big claw beak mask thing like on. Like Bane. Um, <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, but it would be interesting to see what they would look like with today's technology applied to it. But um, you know. What if is is a is a different universe called Marvel? So we won't worry about that. Well, you know what I would like to see at this point. I would like to see uh, a Herogen as a member of Starfleet and Star Trek Discovery. That would be very cool, very cool. Because then we might see a difference because they've evolved, right? Because it's been nine hundred years. So yeah, I think that'd be fantastic. I think that'd be really kind of cool. So uh, Kurtzman, get get on that. That's right. Yeah, come on, man, come on, Michelle Paradise. Let's get this going on. Um, Dan, you know what else? Is kind of timeless. It always works for us. It's the music mm. of Five Year Mission. How could it? Boom. Not? No, you know, I don't know. We've almost been doing this show for eight years, and Five Year Mission has been a part of it from day one. And we're so grateful to them for all the music that we've used here on Truck Geeks over the years. We're grateful to them for for bringing their podcast to our network because it's pretty fun. It's always fun to hear the guys talk about. You know, whatever topic they have going on, whether it's some of their favorite bands that have nothing to do mm. with Star Trek or you know, how- uh, Great name too. What's that? Great name of the show too. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Or how some of their um, their songs came together and their What Are Little Songs yes. of um, mm-hmm. series of, of episodes. 
But we want everyone to go to fiveyearmission.net, get all their CDs. Just do it. Become a huge fan of Five Year Mission as you and I are, Dan, because you're going to love it. Dan, how many people in the last eight years have told us they have bought Five Year Mission's music just based on us and they become huge fans? So many. 6,327 so far. That is a lot of people. That is a lot of people. They're all they're all right because five year mission is awesome. But I got I got to I got to admit to you, man, I I feel a little dirty. I I feel a little gross. Oh, you're a little dirty. All right. Um, yeah, yeah. I I watch what we consider to be the very worst episode of Star Trek in its entire fifty six year history recently. Um, I I get chills just thinking about it, man. You know you know what I'm going to say. I don't. A group though. of kids. Well, uh, okay. Well, uh, you, you know that, it, you know, I think you have an idea of what episode I'm talking about because it's just so bad. It's you know, the one where a group of kids befriend this alien oh whom they call an angel drummer who can soothe them with his wonderful percussive tones. But, but he's, he's anything but friendly, man. Uh, I, I, I hate to admit that I actually watched and the children shall lead. And you know, that okay. instantly recognizable chant. Uh, uh, hail, hail. Fark and snow, call the angel, we will go. Fark away, fark to see, farky angel, come to me. Uh, <sighs> God. Gorgon. The fart. I wish I was gone, but I'm having to watch that. The fart gone? Yeah. <laughs> the fart gone, yes, absolutely. There you go. See, look at that. That's what? Five farkisms in one episode, my friend. That might be a record. So- when this chant is is performed, mm-hmm. um, obviously we don't get a fat lawyer on a shower curtain like we did in the original series. What do we get? Yeah. We get a skinny uh, drummer with glasses with a real big green tint on him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is And a pair of drumsticks. This is the episode Ba-dum-boom. of the original series where Sulu believes he's flying through like a tunnel of swords in space. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I uh, missiles or swords. I now or yeah, want yeah. to be impaled by one of those swords after hearing this. <laughs> it's kind of like when Uhura's is looking in the mirror and she looks like a hundred years old, and that's how I feel every time we record. No, no, no I didn't make this about you. I made oh, this about your farkism, you. um, <laughs> because uh, I I didn't think you could hit new lows. Yet here we are. <laughs> Well, I am talking about the worst episode of Star Trek, so it makes sense that it be. So are you agreeing <sighs> that this is the worst Farkism ever? Not not in the slightest. I don't know. I'm just, I'm if just, it's the worst uh, episode, it must be the worst Farkism. <laughs> That's your words, not mine. Don't forget- And you, not many of our listeners, Don't forget I'm you sure. two can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by moving on and subscribing to us on Patreon, uh, where we have perks and we have raw audio, Dan. Um, but mainly we have a bunch of people to whom we're extremely grateful- for uh well it's without them we wouldn't have done many of the things we've done in the last handful of years and i think that says everything absolutely we love all of them we are so thankful for their support and right now i want to take a moment to thank every one of the associate producers uh here on the trek geeks podcast network and they are evikram bot brad demag william edward m jr patrick escadero brandon everidge andy fark Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Peter Hong, William Jackson, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Ross McKinney, Jim McMahon, Aaron Molenkoff, Helen Reed, Sarah Rutlinger, Tim Robertson, Desi Rogers, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Rick Tatro, Lisa Tomlinson, Ron Robel, 
<laughs> and the gracious and wonderful Connie Hutchins. Oh, you're back to <laughs> Sherlock Jones. You son of a <laughs> bee. Um, of course, we want to thank the producers of the Trek Geeks podcast for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Steve Bovia. Wait, my voice has been really rough for the past <laughs> couple of weeks. I apologize, everybody, because I sound like I'm hoarse and I have uh, ever since I got over my bronchitis. Let me start that over. Mike Bovia, Steve Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Andy Davenport, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchon, Matt McGonigal, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Casey Pettit, Jamie Rogers, Major Self, Casey Shasky, Terry Shaw, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon, Dan, the senior producer of Trek Geeks, mm. is the legendary and much heralded Jude Tatman. Heralded. I love that. He absolutely is a senior producer of Trek Geeks. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, and it's so easy to do. Just head on over to patreon.com slash Trek Geeks for all the details. Dan, next week, we're going to welcome back a very smart, and that's really kind of an understatement, and a very special guest of the flagship. And we're going to talk about something that you and I might actually understand. <laughs> yeah, I doubt that. Um, <laughs> not only is she an amazing person, not only is she a real-life astrophysicist and aeronautical engineer, and not only is she a real science consultant for Star Trek, but now she's an author with an awesome new children's book called Star Trek, My First Book of Space, and it's just so good that even Bill and I understand it, or at least we think we do. Uh, so we're going to have the one and only Dr. Aaron McDonald return as a guest to talk all about it, and it's all next week on Trek Geeks the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. I'm just excited we're finally going to talk about a book that's at our reading level. Yes. Um, and plus, I mean, we'll have we'll have Dr. Aaron back. Uh, maybe we'll drink White Claw in celebration. I don't know, <laughs> but that's next week here on the flagship. Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to take a listen to the other member podcasts here on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. So many shows created by so many passionate fans who just want to share their love of Star Trek and Gene's vision. You can find all our shows, including where to listen by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one, I am telling you right now, no one talks Trek like we do. And you should listen to him because this time he's right. Of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 295 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut, coconut, coconut. What uh, what species do you think coconut is? Uh, species number one. Negative. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.
Bing bong, Daniel. Bing bong, William. It's good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, too. How are you? How are you? I, uh, so, <laughs> you'll remember, I went to Washington, okay. D.C., the nation's capital, the cradle yes. of liberty. That's correct. Um, yes, you did. And uh, we went, my wife and I went to the office experience, which is a recreation of the sets of the, the television series, The Office, the U.S. version mm-hmm. specifically. Had a fantastic time. Beautiful. It was good to hear. Uh, it was everything we hoped it could be. The sets were amazing. Um, you know, some of them were obviously not, you know, uh, the stuff that was on screen, but it was as close of a recreation as they could make for a traveling show. I felt like I was. Did they have a bat in the in the ceiling tiles. When I would trap on your head with a bat, yes. Um, <laughs> I felt like I was at Dunder Mifflin. That's awesome. So the last night we're there, we went to dinner at this amazing restaurant on the wharf in DC. And uh, after dinner, we're trying to catch our Uber. And I rolled my ankle so badly that I actually took a digger. And mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, it hurt for days. In fact, when you last saw me, I was wearing a walking boot. Yes, you were. But I will give you credit. You were at the gym in a walking boot. So very well done, my friend. Oh, that's, that's good. Yes. Before people go, why'd you go to the gym? I was working with the <laughs> trainers. Who decided yes, I could, awesome about this. I could concentrate on upper body stuff yep. and not have to worry about things that involved legs. Right. So it was a workout that was tailor-made just for me when the rest of the mm-hmm. class was doing something else. I genuinely appreciated it. Um, and they're so good at doing that. Whenever you have any type of in- injury, this gym that we go to is fantastic at being able to adjust so yeah. that you're, you're not going to hurt the thing that is hurt. So between having a broken wheel, or I guess it's, I don't know if it's broken or not. Um, I have my, my appointment with the doctor tomorrow. Um, Yay. but between my, my, my flat tire and, uh, and work, it's just been, it's been a hellacious couple of weeks. So here we are. Here we are. Well, you know what? It's always good to have Star Trek to kind of, uh, get you away from the real life pains. So let's talk about <laughs> that. I feel, for a I feel you. With, I feel you with the pains. Yes. Speaking of pains. Let's talk about that. Why did no, you choose this episode? Oh, well, I don't really know now that I think about it. Um, I think because Tony Todd's in it, and we love Tony Todd. Uh, we do. And then, and then watching it, um, I'm like, why are we doing this episode? <laughs> 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 because, hey, guess what? Let's walk around a bunch of quarters slowly with a little bit of dialogue for 45 minutes. Yeah. Pray. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but well, there yeah. are there are some aspects of the episode that are very good, but uh, in hindsight, <laughs> there are some that are interesting. Yep. Um, there were some obvious challenges, but you know when you, uh, I think it was earlier this year, and we've had to reschedule this episode a, a number of times mm-hmm. on the calendar. I asked you to pick an episode, as I will often do, sometimes out of the blue, out of the blue, because you know um, I usually do a lot of the, the the topic picking, and every now and then, I'm like I'm gonna have Dan pick an episode. Let's do one that he wants yeah. to talk about. And you didn't even think twice before you threw this out there. I I don't even remember why. You said pray just about instantly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't remember when it was, and I don't remember why I answered that so quickly. Maybe I had just watched it. I don't know. Maybe I had just watched a, my, a Tony Todd episode. I don't know. Of some kind. Um, but the, here we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pray, episode <laughs> 16 of season four, baby. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some things to say about it when we when we get into the meat of the episode, which I think will surprise you. It'll be interesting to see your reaction. Really? 
Yeah. I, yeah. I'm stunned now. I, yeah. I, I mean, even with an episode that's not so great, there can be some very interesting topics to bring up and discuss rationally, because that's what we do here on the Trek. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and no. for all you know, I may agree with some of those. It, there's a first time for everything. It, that's, that's very true. <laughs> it's, it's weird. To th- okay. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 you, no, no. Go, go, go. I insist. I was completely off topic, off topic so go ahead. No, go for the off topic, because I'm just going to draw right. on about prey, no pun intended. Okay, I know that we talked about this once before, and, and I, 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 I went and I dropped some, I dropped some dough to our, our friends over at Blue Bricks. <laughs> I got the, uh, the Defiant, and I got the Runabout. I got both of them. 6,000 pieces worth of Blue Bricks I got to put together. Okay, so that's going to take some time. And you said to me, oh, well, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'm like, I'm not going to touch them yet. I got other things I'm working on. I have no idea when I'm going to do it. Specifically, you're like, I'm not going to touch them until after Thanksgiving. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm like, I just don't, I just don't see it. And one of the things that I'm doing because Thanksgiving is coming up, you know, that I cross stitch as a hobby. It's very relaxing. I like to do it a couple of weeks back or a few weeks back. Sue and I are talking and cause we got all our Halloween stitches up and I, I have like five or six of them that we put throughout the house. And she goes, you know what? We don't have any Thanksgiving cross stitches for the Thanksgiving season or autumn for that matter. Interesting. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to take care of that right now. We went online and went to a site that I get a bunch of stuff and I ordered three kits and one of them came in. And one of the things, I don't know why, but I absolutely love the images, especially at Christmas time, the red trucks with like Christmas trees in the back or at Halloween, the red trucks with like pumpkins in the back or something like that. I love the red trucks. We've got, we've got like pillows of it and, and stuff like that. Don't know why, just have always have it. And they had a red truck with, pumpkins and and thanksgiving stuff with the words give thanks or something wrong yeah, yeah. so i ordered that that stitch and it came in and i've been working on that like crazy i've been posting stuff on twitter about the progress and it's coming along really well and i anticipated that i was going to be able to finish it before thanksgiving so i was not going to touch any of the blue brick stuff until i got this done because i wanted to get it done and framed for thanksgiving Looking at it last week, I'm like, I ain't going to get this done before Thanksgiving. <laughs> so one afternoon at lunch, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just gonna take a peek. And I did section one of the Defiant, which is just the stand. <laughs> Let me speak for the rest of the people listening when I say, dun, 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 <laughs> Yes. Yes. Uh, the, the stand itself, I, I actually looked at the book and counted, is 176 pieces or 173. I forget which. So I did that. It took about a half hour, 45 minutes, and I've got the stand done. And it shall probably sit there until after Thanksgiving. Famous and all the last ba- and all words. the bags, as you pointed out, I've got because they separate them in bags, which are great numbered bags. Yeah. All the bags for two through eight are sitting right there on the floor, all, all over there that people can't see. But uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of bricks on the floor. Famous last words. All right, well, see, now I'm going to do it on purpose, no matter what's going on, just so that I don't have to touch them. And that means I won't touch it until December because the day after Thanksgiving, I'm off to Disney. <laughs> it's you. You're gonna bring. Bags of blue it. bricks in the or your carry on <laughs> assembling be on the plane the defiant on the tray table in your flight. <laughs> That's a great idea. Uh, yeah, and now <laughs> I unfortunately I can idea. get blamed for it because it's recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but um, it is a it is a very um awesome looking kit. I haven't looked at the runabout yet. I haven't opened the runabout at all. Um, but this one is is pretty pretty sweet, pretty sturdy looking, and I'm looking forward to doing it. I'm surprised you didn't order the Deep Space Nine station. Is it available? I want, I it is available. I want to, but it is so large in terms of the circumference. 
I have zero place on this in this house to put it. There's no place I can put it. So I got to wait and figure out what to do if I want to have some kind of shelf installed or something. Um, I'm surprised you didn't order it just so it doesn't like sell out. Oh, uh, that's probably not a bad idea. Hmm. Okay. Now I got to think. Because I ordered the phaser rifle just in case they yeah. sold out. And oh, okay. It's yeah, still well, boxed still, up. They got so many good ones that are coming out. It's like, they're going to drop it. I, I always said that if they're, oh, if they ever get a Star Trek license with Lego, I'm going to go broke. Well, guess what? They got a license with Blue Bricks. I'm going to go broke. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yep. So they have the, uh, I think we talked about, they have the Klingon uh, disruptor rifle that's coming out and it separates so that you can have like a just a pistol instead of the gun, instead of the rifle, which is incredible. Uh, Voyager's coming out. Um, they got a bunch of great stuff coming out. They're just fantastic. I, I want them to do the TOS phaser rifle now. Uh, yes, I hope they do. That'd be great. You should s- send them an email. I sent them an email for something I wanted them to do, and they said, thanks so much. We'll take it into consideration or something like that. They're a bunch of good guys. Oh, my God. That'd be so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You, um, you, do, do you want to you do this and stuff? Let's do some Let's do some prey. It's funny that we could probably do the movie prey about Predator and probably have more fun. Probably not. And I haven't even seen it yet. <laughs> I, I would have to care about seeing it. I don't. I thought we could do I'll let you know how it pray is. the MC Hammer song. Ah, okay. You got to mm-hmm. pray just to make it today? Yeah. No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that either. I don't. No, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Tony Todd. Tony Todd, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Todd. Tony Todd. Golf clap. All right, let's go. Very nice. Okay.